0: Thank you for listening to this podcast from Living Hope Church in Skokie, Illinois, featuring the preaching of Pastor Daniel Mann. For more information about our church, please visit us online at livinghopechicago.com. We hope that today's message will encourage you in your relationship with God. It was a Saturday night, uh, a little over seven years ago. Melissa and I were about ready to go to bed. We were had a... Uh, church the next morning. And so trying to get a good night's rest. And um, the only thing different about that night is my parents had taken us out to this really nice restaurant. My dad had just received some um, gift cards. It was right after Christmas. And so we went out for kind of a a post-Christmas celebration meal. So we were stuffed and full and satisfied. We go to bed, wake up the next morning to Melissa shaking me, saying, Daniel, Daniel, I think we need to go to the hospital. I think my water broke. Now, Carly was our first child. All I knew about these situations is basically what you see in the movies and on TV. So I think water breaks, we are about to have this baby right here. We got to get in the car, we got to go. And Melissa calls the, uh, the hospital and they said, well, you know, you can probably take your time. And, uh, come in, you know, after you get ready, you don't have to rush in over here or anything. Cause I ask her a few questions. I didn't feel like she was in labor right away. And I'm thinking, take your time. Melissa's in there putting her makeup on, getting ready. I'm like, we got to go. We got to get there. We, we don't, I'm not a doctor. I can't, I can't deliver this baby. So we get to the hospital. It's early morning. I've called my pastor to say we're not going to be able to be at church that morning. And I worked on the staff, so I had a lot of responsibilities at the church. Let him know, not going to be able to be there. We we might be um, meeting Carly today. So we go to the hospital and wait. And wait. Our family shows up. Melissa's family shows up. My uh, sister shows up. Tommy, Melissa's brother there, shows up, and we're waiting and waiting and waiting. And a long story short is Carly decided that she was going to wait almost 24 hours after we got to the hospital to come and to be born. And I just remember the, the waiting and waiting in that hospital room and all around the hospital for her to come. You see, last week we learned in our series, The Story, we learned that that God had made a promise. And that God was going to send one. He was going to send a Messiah. One that He had anointed and chosen who would crush the enemy and who would rescue fallen humanity. And we're learning in this series that that we're calling The Story... That the Bible tells one grand story. It's God's story. And we learn that He's at the beginning and He's the focus of it all. That He created it all by His Word and it was all good. Then we learned about the fall and how that through sin and rebellion, the perfection of creation was ruined. Last week, though, we learned that God didn't leave us helpless and hopeless in the midst of of our sin, and in the midst of the curse of sin. That God in the Garden of Eden gave a promise that there would come one who would crush the devil and who would redeem fallen humanity. And today I want us to look at the fourth message in this series that I've simply titled The Coming. As we saw last week that that glimmer of hope found in Genesis 3.15, that the seed of the woman would crush the head of Satan, that that God began to unfold specific details about the One who was to come. But centuries passed, mankind endured the suffering that comes under the effects of sin, sickness, war, calamity, and, and God's people were crying out, for Him to send the promised one. Even those who didn't know God and didn't know that God was sending one to redeem were suffering and crying out for for rescue, that their hearts restless in this world that seemed to be all falling apart. And the Scripture tells us that when the fullness of time had come, Galatians 4, 4, when the fullness of time come, that God sent forth His Son, that God kept His promise and sent His Son into the world, the coming into the world of the Messiah. Well, you look with me at John chapter four, and I'm going to read two verses. John chapter four, verse 25 and 26. The Bible says this. We're picking up on a story about a, uh, Jesus encountering a Samaritan woman. And she knows some things about uh, the Old Testament. She knows some things about the teaching that God is going to send one. That, that, that we're looking for one to come who will set all things right. And she says in verse 25, The woman saith unto him, unto Jesus, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ, And Messiah is the Hebrew word, Christ is the Greek word. They both refer and mean the same thing. It's referring to that anointed one, that chosen one, that one that was coming. She says, I know that He's coming, and when He is come, He will tell us all things. Look at verse 26, Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am He. I'm the one, the one, the promised one that you are looking for. I am He. The Bible reveals to us that Jesus is that Messiah, the promised one who came into the world. Jesus proved and demonstrated by His life, demonstrated in incredible ways that He is the Messiah. The one that God had sent into the world. And today I want us to look at three things that set Jesus apart and prove that He is the Messiah, the Savior. Three distinctives about Jesus that prove that He is the one that God promised to send to rescue Fallen humanity. Number one, I want to talk to you about His miraculous birth. What sets Jesus distinctly apart? That we know He's the Messiah? Well, His miraculous birth. That Jesus was born of a virgin, and He existed prior to His birth. Isaiah 7.14 says, Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call His name Emmanuel, God had made a promise that the one He was sending into the world would be born of a virgin. He said that hundreds of years before Jesus was born through Isaiah the prophet, and then in the very first chapter of the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 1 verse 22 and 23, we learn of a virgin named Mary who gave birth to a son in fulfillment of the prophecy that this Virgin woman has given birth now to a baby boy. This refers to what theologians call the incarnation of Jesus. The incarnation of Jesus refers to the fact that He was supernaturally conceived in the womb of a virgin without the participation of a human father. He was supernaturally conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary without the participation of a human father. Jesus' miraculous birth is also unique. Not only that He was supernaturally conceived without the Participation of a human father, but Jesus is the only one who existed prior to his birth. We're in John 4. Look with me at John 1. John chapter 1 and verse 1. Should be just a page or two back to the left. In the beginning was the word. You see, that's capitalized because it's referring to a person. It's referring to Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Look at verse 10. He was in the world. That's referring to His incarnation, His being born into this world. And the world was made by Him. He that made the world is now living as a creature in the world. And the world knew Him not. He came into His own, and His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And I love verse 14. And the Word was made flesh. And that's what incarnation means. It's a Latin word that means in flesh. The Word, God, made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus existed prior to His birth. Oh, He existed as eternal God in fellowship with the Father and the Spirit, Bethlehem was not the beginning of Jesus' existence. He's always been. Bethlehem was the beginning of His earthly mission. Isaiah 9.6 says, For unto us a child is born. There's the humanity of Jesus. And unto us a son is given. There's the deity of Jesus. Jesus. And it goes on in that same text to refer to Him as the everlasting Father whose judgment and justice and His rule and reign will be forevermore. Jesus is God's eternal Son who became a man without ceasing to be God. It demonstrated that by His miraculous birth and through the Incarnation. Jesus simultaneously retained His divine nature and received a human sinless nature. A sinless human nature. Miraculous birth. Uh, Recently, I was at the Baha'i Temple showing uh, some, some friends around. And I like to take people there, not only because it's beautiful and the structure and just how it just puts you in awe, but, but I like to emphasize to people uh, that visit us here the spiritual condition of many people that live uh, in the Chicagoland area. We're going through and they're learning a little bit about the, the high faith, and it's always, I love to take teenagers there especially, because it gives me an opportunity to really highlight the beauty of the gospel, and just the treasure that we have in the gospel, and how it, how it makes sense, and how reasonable it is. And how verifiable it is in so many ways. And the, the proof and the objective things that, that, that we can really hold on to. Rather than so much subjective teaching that other religions are founded upon. And the lady was asking if we had questions. And I told her, not really, no. We were just looking around. And she took the opportunity She show all those teenagers there. And, and so she wanted to kind of explain some things. And we were looking at a timeline. And I don't know how much you know about the Baha'i faith. But the Baha'i faith basically believes that every religion like Islam, Hinduism, Christianity, uh, Judaism, all all these different religions, are basically all just different chapters of the same book. And no matter what you call these other gods, like Allah or Jehovah or or what have you, um, it's really just one God, they say, coming from different perspectives and different people referring to that. And so they really believe um that there's no essential difference in any of the major religions. So they have this chart and it shows them when all the different religious leaders were born and when their ministry was. And they have Moses or Abraham and uh Krishna and, and Moses and Muhammad and Jesus and they have a list of all these different major and they call them all prophets who at different times spoke in behalf of God, but contrary to what many people believe, As the Baha'is say, that all of them were referring to the same God, not different gods. Now, obviously, we dispute that and believe very different from that. That the God of Islam is not the God of the Bible. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is not the God, the false God that Muhammad spoke of and so forth. And so we're looking at this chart, and, and she was saying all these things. And I said, well, well, we're Christians and followers of Jesus. And she said, oh, that's great. And I said, uh, I said, well, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? And she said, no, I, I don't. I said, well, in Christianity, there's a big problem with your chart. Because in her chart, it had Jesus coming um, when He was born in, uh, in, um, in Bethlehem. That would have been thousands of years you know, before others had been born. And so, in fact, it was a long time before Abraham was born. And so she had this chart, and I said, The problem with your chart, though, is that Jesus said that He existed before Abraham. And we had a great conversation for just a second or two where I was able to kind of show her the, the uniqueness of the God. That Jesus was not... He didn't claim to be just like every other prophet that came. In fact, he said in John 8, 57, 58, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old. And hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. You see, her chart fell apart because Jesus is saying, No, I have always existed. I am eternal. I am God in the flesh. Jesus is unique and distinct because of His miraculous birth. No one has ever come into the world like Jesus. And no one has fulfilled the prophecies that God said the Messiah would be fulfilled. Namely, that He would be born of a virgin. And as we share the Gospel with believers, as we're sharing the story of God with them. We must emphasize that Jesus is God. We must point to the claims of Jesus, that He's eternal, that Bethlehem was not His beginning, that He's always been. He's in the beginning. He is the beginning. He was sent from heaven by the Father into the world. And can I ask you, are these just facts? Or do you personally believe this? I didn't ask you if you understand it, but I ask you, do you believe one man said, I think it was Herbert Lockyer, he said, if we try to explain the virgin birth, we'll lose our reason. But if we deny and discredit the virgin birth, we will lose our soul. For no one can be a Christian who rejects the fundamental truth of the incarnation. The miraculous birth of Jesus. So oh, by it, he demonstrated that he is the Messiah. Not only does he distinctly prove himself to be Messiah through his miraculous birth, but secondly, through his flawless life. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12 through 19, we learn that that, that every person born into this world naturally, who have come from Adam and Eve, that sin has been passed down to every person born of their parents. That sin is a universal trait of all fallen humanity. Let let me read to you a verse or two from Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 tells us that as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. So death and sin is passed down from Adam to all who are born into this world. It goes and passes down, and it came into the world by one man, that is Adam, and it's passed down as a universal trait of all fallen humanity. But the beautiful thing about the Incarnation is that through Jesus' miraculous conception in the womb and birth, that He retained His deity and received a sinless human nature. You see, the Scripture teaches that Jesus is fully human in every way except for sin. He's human in every way except for sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that God made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that He was the sinless and perfect and flawless One. He who knew no sin took our sin. Hebrews 4.16 says that we have a high priest that, that, that cannot be touched with the... He says we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. In other words, Jesus knows what it is to suffer. He knows what it is to feel the weakness and the struggle of this life. But He was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin... 1 Peter 1.19 says that Jesus is the spotless Lamb of God without blemish. That's referring to His perfection. Oh, and 1 John 3, 5 and 6 tells us that Jesus came into the world to take away our sin, and in Him is no sin. What's the teaching here? It's teaching that Jesus lived a flawless, perfect, sinless life. That He's absolutely perfect. And while on this earth, in this fallen, cursed world, with all of its pain and sorrow and temptation and woes, He lived a perfect and sinless life. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 tells us that that, that God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, there's His birth. Made under the law. What does that mean? Jesus did, it means that Jesus did what no other human has ever been able to do, that He perfectly lived under the law in perfect obedience. Now, in one sense, all of us born in this world are under the law. We're, we're, we're to live under the law that our Creator God has given us. And Jesus was born, and He was not an exception, that He lived under the obedience to God, to His Father. The difference between us and Jesus is that we failed under the law, that we did not hold up under the law, but Jesus perfectly upheld the law, living under it in full obedience. He fulfilled the will of the Father, never sinning. You know, sometimes it's funny, dating couples will, will say about the, the other one that they're dating, that they'll say, you know, she is perfect. He's so perfect. I'm, I mean, I, I know no one's perfect, but 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 he's perfect, or she's perfect, or as perfect as you can get, or we're perfect for one another. She has no bad qualities. He has no bad qualities. And love really is blind, isn't it? <laughs> And when we're saying that, then people are obviously know that the person is not really perfect. Although some couples seem to be so love struck that they don't even notice. But that they, when they normally, when someone says that, what they're really saying is, "Oh, I uh, this person just I admire so much about them." But did you know that? When the Bible talks about Jesus being perfect, it's not just saying that Jesus has traits that we could admire, although He does. I love what Adrian Rogers says about Jesus. He says, did you know that Jesus does not have strong points? Because in order for Jesus to have strong points, He would have to have weak points. When we say Jesus is flawless and perfect, we mean there's no weakness in Him whatsoever. And so there's Nothing but perfection. Jesus asked a question that none of us would dare ask in John 8:46. He said, "Which of you convinceth me of sin?" You know what he's saying there? Saying, "How many of you could prove that I have sinned? How many of you could prove that I've done something wrong? You know, none of us would say that around our spouse, none of us would say that around our kids, none of us would say that around family and friends that know us well, because people that know us well know our failures. You, you and I ask someone that knows us really well, who which of you convinces me of sin? They would say, How long of the list do you want? Do you want me to start in alphabetical order? Oh no, but Jesus. He lived the life that I failed to live. He lived the life that you failed to live. And where we fall short, He always measures up. And as you consider Jesus' life on this earth, where do you find sin or evil in Him? I mean, He was like us in every way except for sin. He suffered and faced every temptation that that we have, yet He did it without sin. And as we share the story, as we share God's story, the Gospel... We must point them to the one who lived the life that they have failed to live. That's why John, 1 John 1, 129 says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He was that perfect sacrifice that God sent into the world. That flawless, spotless Lamb who could be offered to take the sin of the world. Jesus distinctly proves He's Messiah, His miraculous birth, His flawless life. Thirdly, finally, His extraordinary ministry. Jesus astonished, Jesus astonished the world with His power and His knowledge, His ministry of miracles, His teaching. You know, there's a word that's frequently used to describe how people reacted to the words and works of Jesus during His time on earth. And it's the word astonished. Matthew 13, 54, it says this, And when He was come into His own country, talking about Jesus, He taught them in their synagogue insomuch that they were astonished and said, Whence from where hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works. They were astonished by His wisdom and His works. His disciples were amazed at His power over nature when He calmed the stormy sea and cursed the fig tree with His word. Multitudes were amazed at His power to perform miracles when He fed 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two small fish. And He turned water Into wine. People were amazed at his power to heal the blind, the lame, and the deaf. He made lepers clean. He cast demons out. He even raised the dead to life. People were astonished at his wisdom and knowledge. As a young boy, he amazed teachers of the law with his insight, and people were constantly in awe of his knowledge. One day, Jesus was in was teaching in the synagogue of a Galilean city called Capernaum. People were astonished at His doctrine, the power of His words, that He spoke with authority. And there was a demon-possessed man that started yelling with a loud voice at Jesus. Jesus rebuked the demon spirit that was possessing this man, commanded this spirit to come out of the man. And when the people saw the extraordinary power of Jesus, that even the demons obey His voice, they were all amazed. In Acts 2.22, it says, Ye men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by Him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also No. What does that mean? It means that God demonstrated that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah. Authenticated Jesus through those signs and miracles and wonders. No one has ever demonstrated the authority, the power, the wisdom, and the knowledge that Jesus demonstrated on earth. Jesus wasn't just a good teacher. Jesus was God who could see into the hearts of men, who could raise the dead and calm storms by His Word, He demonstrated with incredible, extraordinary ministry that He is the Son of God. And as we share this story, this Gospel, God's story, we need to lead them to look at and investigate the teachings of Jesus for themselves. It's one thing for you and I to to tell people about Jesus, and we ought to. But it's another thing when we combine our telling them about Jesus with encouraging them to read His Word for themselves. When they read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're going to encounter Jesus. They're going to learn about His words. They're going to read about His ministry and His miracles and how He turned the world upside down and... Three years of public ministry. Wow. I love what, I'm going to close with these thoughts. Adrian Rogers, again to quote him, he said this, After 2,000 years, there is never one minute on this earth that millions are not studying what Jesus said. Think about it. He's a person who lived in a tiny little land two millenniums ago, yet his birth divides the centuries from B.C. to A.D. He never wrote a book, yet libraries could be filled with the volumes that have written about the Lord Jesus. He never painted a picture, yet the world's greatest art, greatest dramas, music, and literature have Jesus Christ at their center. He never traveled far from his birthplace, yet his testimony has gone around the world. He only had a handful of followers in a ministry of only three short years. Yet 2,000 years later, we're still saying, Jesus, your name is wonderful. He had no formal education, yet thousands of universities, seminaries, and colleges are built in the name Of Jesus Christ. To know Him is to love Him. To love Him is to trust Him. To trust Him is to be radically, dramatically, and eternally changed. To be transformed. Human speech is too limited to describe Him. The human mind too small to comprehend Him. And the human heart can never completely, totally absorb who Jesus Christ is. God manifest in the flesh. I say to you today that Jesus proved distinctly that He is the Messiah. Through His miraculous birth, His flawless life, and extraordinary ministry, He proved that He is the One who came into the world. That God promised would come into the world to rescue fallen humanity. Everyone has to make a decision about Jesus. C.S. Lewis said there are really three options. When we're making our decision about Jesus, we must take one of three directions. The one is that He's a liar. That He intentionally deceived people, knowing He was not the Messiah, but lied to them. The second is that He's a lunatic. That He really thought He was God in the flesh, but He was deceived Himself and not in His right mind. The only other option after that is that He's Lord. That He is not a liar. That He's not a lunatic, but that He's the Lord of glory. He's God, eternally existent, miraculously born into this world as a man. Lived a flawless life without sin Three years of extraordinary public ministry with wisdom and knowledge and power never before seen since. Before since. What's your decision about Jesus? What do you really truly believe about Him? I want to invite you to believe on Him. I want to invite you to call out to Him and receive Him as your Lord and Savior. We read it earlier, but it says but as many as received Him to them gave you power to become the sons of God. He came into this world to save you. Will you trust Him to save you? committed your life to Jesus Christ or made a spiritual decision, we would like to rejoice with you. Please connect with us on our website, livinghopechicago.com We hope you'll join us next time for another encouraging message from God's Word.